Hey, this is John Stevens, pastor of Chapelwood, and this is our weekly sermon podcast. I hope it will impact your heart and your life and help you grow closer to God. Check us out online at chapelwood.org. Thanks for tuning in. Our scripture today is Psalm 73. Truly God is good to the upright, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet have almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pain. Their bodies are sound and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not plagued like other people. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes swell out with fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against heaven and their tongues range over the earth. Therefore, the people turn and praise them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Such are the wicked, always at ease, they increase in riches. All in vain, I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and am punished every morning. If I had said, I will talk on it this way, I would have been untrue to the circle of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived therein. Truly you set them in slippery places, you make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. On awakening, you despise their phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was stupid and ignorant. I was like a brute beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward, you will receive me with honor. Whom am I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire other than you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Indeed, those who are far from you will perish. You put an end to those who are false to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge to tell all of your works. This is the word of the Lord. You might be seated. And uh, I know, I saw some folks, and I'm not going to say what their ages are. They know the lyrics to the Hank Williams song. Younger generation, maybe not. But you know, if you do know Hank Williams, it is a new orientation and a reorientation for him to sing that song when he also sang, I'm so lonesome I could cry, and there's a tear in my beer as I'm crying for you, dear. So... That's kind of in keeping with the sermon series of us uh, moving through these, these stages or these seasons in our spiritual life, uh, looking at the book of Psalms. You know, it was real important in this season of February for us to do this. But before we get started, we got this nice little tradition we do. We got a little message for those who are with us online. And so will you stand for about a minute or so, 60 seconds to stand and greet those around you. If you see someone you don't know, introduce yourself to them. 
Hey, welcome to Worship at Chapelwood. I'm so glad that you're here with us today. I hope that you'll go to chapelwood.org home. That is the landing page for everyone who worships with us online. It's a place for you to register your attendance. It's a place for you to reach out to us and submit prayer requests. Also, you'll find there a link to our Lenten resources. Throughout the season of Lent, there are ways that you can be better plugged into Chapelwood and grow alongside of us. Also links for you to give and financially support our church. I'm glad you're with us today at Chapwood. God bless. Well, uh, as we get started in this season of February, right before we move into Lent, and I think this is important as we're setting the stage for Lent, Lent begins this Wednesday. It's always good for you to have a heads up that Lent is coming rather than Sunday next week you go, hey, Lent started last week on Wednesday. If you go to chapwood.org slash Lent, you'll find a lot of resources there. We've got services on Wednesday for Ash Wednesday services. There's also some resources there for you to engage in some study as you go through the season of Lent, uh, point you in some different directions that are helpful for you. Let me encourage you starting on Wednesday uh, on season of Lent, uh, find something to give up. Uh, it's called a fast <laughs> and it's something that means something to you. Something that you'll miss, something that's difficult. That's, it's the disciplined spiritual practice of self-control. And when we give something up that means something to us, what happens is every time we want to engage in that practice or whatever it is that we've given up, it sort of triggers something in us, makes us a little uncomfortable. And that should call us into a deeper reflection of ourselves, a deeper reflection of how God's at work in our lives, maybe a deeper reflection of how we've grown dependent on some things, that we shouldn't be as dependent on. That's kind of what fasting does for us. It sort of rips us open and exposes our loyalties and our loves and helps us to think about things in a different way. And I'd also say add something to your practice at Lent, whether you go serve at the food pantry or you increase a donation to a, a charity or something like that. Do something that you're, you're adding something to, not just taking something away. And I will remind you, Sundays during the season of Lent are feast days not fast days. So whatever you fast from, Sunday is your feast day, your cheat day, right, from fasting until we get to Easter. I promise you if you engage in that practice, when you get to Holy Week and Easter, you will experience it in a new way. I promise that you will. We've been talking about these, uh, this, these stages that we move through in life that are reflective in the Psalms. And we've been using Walter Brueggemann's terms of orientation, disorientation, and a new orientation. But I think in terms of like, orientation is like when life is stable, things are going well. When you ask somebody, hey, how are you doing? Oh man, things are going really good right now. I haven't heard that a lot lately, but that would be great. That would be stability, it would be certainty, and everything is oriented correctly, right? You're in balance. It's just, ah, things are good. And then what happens in life is sometimes things get disrupted. We lose a job, we lose a relationship, um, a cancer diagnosis, an illness diagnosis, a friendship is broken. It could be any number of things that happen in our lives that disrupt things. And it puts us into a state of disorientation, conflict, despair, where we're angry. If you hear this in the Psalms, where other people are doing well, the evil people are succeeding, and the good people are not doing well, and it disrupts it, it disorients things. Those are, those are seasons of confusion. But the hope is that as we move through the valleys of confusion and despair and disorientation, that 
we move into a new orientation. We move out of that area into something new where we're not going back to the old orientation, the back to the way things were, that stability, but we get into something new, something brand new where we are different, we see other people different, we see God different, we experience the world in a new way. That's a new orientation. And that's where we gain some better clarity in our lives. And every time you cross... From one of these stages, and this happens multiple times in your life, and sometimes you'll move back and forth, you'll get stuck sometimes in disorientation. I'm going to talk about that in a bit. But what happens is every time you're crossing from one of these stages to the next, I like the image in the spiritual life of a threshold. You know what a threshold is? When you open the door and you step across the threshold from inside to outside, from outside to inside, there's usually some weather stripping there to divide the in from the out. Some threshold as you move in from one room to the next, the carpet is different, the flooring is different. When, when we cross these thresholds, we're moving from certainty to confusion to clarity in these seasons of life. And it's becoming more clear to me in recent years as we think about Chapelwood, as we think about the Christian church in the United States of America, how we are intersecting with a rapidly changing world. I said this week on social media that I was going to say some challenging things today, and I am, um, because I think it's really important for the church to gain some clarity and understand these spiritual moves, these crossing of thresholds, and how they intersect with the things going on in the world around us that we're deeply, deeply concerned about, that we're afraid of, that we're mad at, right? We've had some folks at our church who have decided to leave Chapelwood. Not a lot, but a few. Things have been going on in the denomination. Things have been going on in the world. And some people have left because we've been in a season of disorientation. We've been in a season of confusion. And they've been all around us, inside the church, outside the church. I learned a long time ago, as I've said this before from Will Willimon, he said, the pastor's job is not to keep people from leaving the church. The pastor's job is to make it really hard for people to leave the church. And so that's what I've tried to do. People make their decisions based on their own stuff. I have heard a consistent thing that people have said. A lot of people have said, well, Chapelwood has changed. Chapelwood has just changed too much. And so then I said, well, tell me one doctrine, one practice, any verbiage that is different from today that we say or we do or we practice different, theology-wise or anything that's different than nine, ten years ago. And as they sort of unpack some things that have to be corrected sometimes, usually they end up getting to a place where they say, well, I just don't like the direction where we're headed. Nobody likes the direction where things are headed. I don't always like the direction where things are headed. But it's, it's, this, it's this move more often than not of this season of disorientation where we find ourselves. They say, well, I don't like... The, the, the verbiage or the tone. And I have to go back and say, well, let me, let me remind all of us here today of a few things. When I came in 2014, I did 77 chats, neighborhood chats. Now, it felt like 277. Uh, there were multiple a week, some two a night. And he, you know what the number one thing that came out of those sessions is I was listening to the people of Chapelwood. The number one thing, number one thing, hands down, no debate, was... We love that Chapelwood is a church where we embody grace. 
We are a church that's about grace. We're a church about the second chance. We love that Chapwood is about Mercy Street. People come in recovery. We love that churches about Esperanza at the time and, and Spring Branch and the Hispanic community. We love about Upper Room. We love about all these things. We love to tell the stories about how we were one of the first churches in the city of Houston who welcomed Alcoholics Anonymous to meet inside the church back in the day when those people don't, didn't meet in churches, way before Mercy Street. And we tell the story, it's sort of a narrative story about uh, Mercy Street, the guy who came to church to steal all the cars. And after he met Jesus, we gave him the keys to the van, a church van, so he could drive around and pick people up from halfway houses to bring them to Mercy Street. I remember almost 20 years ago, a lot of people don't, don't know this, but when I was a teenager, my pastor in Georgia, do you know who he was? It was Jim Jackson. Some people know that, some people don't. I, I say that he's one of the most formative forces in my life as it relates to how to be a pastor, how to think about communicating the gospel and theology. I remember almost 20 years ago, I would listen to him, his sermons from this place called Chapelwood that I didn't even know where it was somewhere in Texas. And he did this series on guilt and shame. Some of you may remember this. Spence Adams in the early service said he remembered it. And Jim preached about guilt and shame. And what he said in that sermon series, I listened to it 20 times because I was in a place in my early 30s where I was struggling with a lot of that stuff. And I remember he said, guilt and shame are not from God. The way the gospel was presented, the way the gospel was, was laid out in front of us, Wick Stuckey, who has entered sort of retirement from full-time, and he's taking a little sabbatical, but he'll be back part-time with us in his retirement, tells the story that when he was at Chapelwood in his early, early days, he had, he'd gone through a divorce. And he walked in Jim Jackson's office, and he said, I, I've just resigned myself that I'll be single forever, that I'll never get married again. And Jim said, why? He said, well, there was no adultery involved, and the Bible is pretty clear that if you're divorced, you can't be remarried, and that if you get remarried, you're committing adultery. So I've just pretty much kind of accepted that I'm going to be single for the rest of my life. And he tells the story, Wick does, that Jim looked at him and smiled, and he said, Wick, you have a really small understanding of God's grace. This is who we are, who we've always been. There's nothing new being proclaimed. There's nothing outside the boundaries of the gospel that's being said here or done here. I would argue that the world around us is changing all the time. The world around us was changing when this church started in the late 40s and the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. And it continues to change and it will always change. And what Chapelwood has done has crossed thresholds into new orientations of ways of being the church in the context where we find ourselves. And all the while, we have held at the, at the center of our identity the grace of Jesus Christ. The grace of Christ. And so we say, I've said this again, we're going to follow the life, the ministry, the words, the teachings, the actions, the healings, the motion of Jesus. I, I hear sometimes people say to me, well, John... You know, you just, need to, you just need to stand up and condemn some of these people that are doing some of these things in the world that, are, that, are, that, we don't, that I don't agree with. 
You, see, you just need to tell them. You just need to condemn them. And I say, when you point out to me one place in the Gospels where Jesus condemns the sinners, where Jesus condemns the lost, when Jesus condemns the wayward, when you show me that, then I'll be glad to follow suit. And they'll say, well, he said to the woman, go and sin no more when she was caught in adultery. I said, yes, he did. But do you know what he said directly before that, immediately before that? He said, where are those that condemn you? And she said, well, they're gone. They're not here. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Um, and somebody will say, well, Jesus, Jesus was against sin. I was like, well, of course he was against sin. He died on the cross for the sin. I said, but nowhere in the gospel does Jesus condemn sinners. And I said, if you want to go find it, take your time. I do this for a living. I've already looked at it many, many times, but be my guest and come back. We'll have a conversation. I won't sound braggadocious or anything. I'm just saying, um, Jesus talks about condemnation, how the word, the people will stand condemned in their reaction of how they live in or for against the word. But that's not Jesus. That's the way that they live their life. That ultimately, God is the one that will condemn or judge, if you will. And we just said in the Apostles' Creed, we say it every time, that the God will judge the, the quick and the dead. You know that word, the quick and the dead? Not because you're fast because you can outrun God. But the quick means the living and the dead. All of us in this room, everyone in the world, someday will stand before the throne of God and be judged. But guess what? You ain't going to be on that throne. And so we have to understand, this is what I think is very important. The doorways, the thresholds that God opens in front of us are invitations. They're invitations. There, it's not, we're not compelled to walk through it. We are invited to go through each of the changes in life. When I think of thresholds, these openings that provide a way into something new, always invitational. You are invited to walk through them. You are never compelled. You are never forced. There's not a gun to your head. You are invited to walk through them. I'm drawn to this idea of invitation in the spiritual life. I think it's a core idea in how we grow in our faith of God. We're always invited. In my experience, God almost always works in our lives by invitation, by opening doorways in front of us, never by compulsion. And that is God rarely forces us or pushes us through a doorway. God honors our freedom. God invites. And if we resist going through a particular doorway, if we resist living into a new way of understanding the world, if we resist moving into a new orientation in life, God's going to honor that freedom. That's what we believe as Wesleyan United Methodist Christians, that we have the freedom, the free will. It's not predetermined. God hadn't already written out your script. You get to choose. You were invited. And I, I love that even that passage of scripture that I just mentioned about John chapter 8, where Jesus says, go and sin no more. That was not a command. It was an invitation. Because before he says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. When, he, when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, I followed all the rules. I've done everything I'm supposed to do. Jesus said, yeah, but you got one thing left. This money is a real big problem for you. So go sell everything you have and come follow me. And it said he just walked away. There's no response. We don't know what the woman caught in adultery, what she did afterwards. We don't know what the rich young ruler did afterwards. They were invited. And we are invited. We are invited to move into the next space of our spiritual life, whether that's 
moving into new orientation or refusing to move into new orientation and staying in the land of confusion. Let me just say this too. When we move from stability and certainty and orientation into a season of disorientation and confusion, that threshold that we cross is characterized by fear. Whenever you move from where things are stable and certain and in balance and you move into something that now is disrupted and despair and all just discombobulated, that is characterized by a doorway of fear. We move from where things are settled and oriented to this disorientation, all the known, all the old world of certainties, all the safe places, all the reliable places. Uh, now they've been all turned upside down. They're all on their head. Nothing is, seems to be any more solid footing for us. And so how do the psalmist respond to this when they move in those areas the same way we do? Lament, complaint. Why, O oh God, has this happened to me? How long, O oh Lord, will the evil prosper? Why, why, O oh Lord, do you continue to not be absent from me and not hear my cry? This is the language of lament, the words of prayers that we are supposed to bring to God. And it's characterized by rage, resentment, despair, even hostility. We see this in the Psalms. We've talked about this last week. And the fear that we sense when we move from where things are stable and set and ordered into where things are confusing and disorienting is because things are unknown. We feel like we have no stability. We have no anchor. We're not connected to the dock anymore and we're out on the, the roaring seas. We fear that we're lost. We fear of darkness. We feel like we no longer have control of things. But guess what? You never have control of things. Control is an illusion. So we're taken kicking and screaming oftentimes into disorientation. But the threshold is necessary. As evidenced by our emphasis on these spiritual traditions, we talk about the valley of the shadow of death. We talk about the cloud of unknowing. We talk about the dark night of the soul. That's what disorientation means. But when we move from orientation to disorientation, we are crossing a threshold of fear. Now here's what's interesting. When we cross from the threshold of disorientation into a new clarity of life, into transformation and a new orientation, that threshold that we cross is characterized by surprise. Surprise. Now, this is really important today. This is the crux of the whole thing. This is a crucial doorway and a crucial threshold for us to cross. Walter Brueggemann says that most of us resist surprise as much as we resist fear. We don't like surprise any more than we like fear. And none of us really like fear. Both are filled with unknowns. I mean, at first glance, most of us would think, hey, surprise, I'm not as worried about that as I am about fear. I don't have as much trepidation about that. But the reality, though, is if you're the kind of person who likes structure, organization, if you're drawn into planning, if you're drawn into orderliness, if you are like holding on to the illusion of control, that you can control things in your life, if you like coherent systems, if you like predictable rhythms, and you wake up in the morning and you know how your day is outlined and how it's going to flow and how it's going to work, then guess what? For you, surprise is an enemy. It's an enemy. Unscripted surprise will feel like an intrusion. Newness is not always welcome. 
especially when we're called to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And when we're called to begin to see the world differently, interact with the world differently, come up against the world differently. We don't like that. We don't get to control how and when it comes. We don't get the choice of managing the conditions. And so surprise reminds us that this is God's world and we're not in charge of it. That we're not God and that we orbit around God. We are called to orbit around God. We can never compel God to orbit around our wishes, our tribal loyalties, our ideologies, our politics, our social constructs. God is the author of surprising new orientation. And for this reason, it's uncommon. Um, it's not uncommon for people to get stuck in the disorienting seasons of life. We don't always want to move into a new orientation. It's scary. I have to change the way I think about other people. I have to change the way I think about other tribes. I have to change the way I think about what's going on in the world around us. And I'm not sure I want to do that. So I may stay in the realm of disorientation, the realm of rage, of fear, of toxicity, of anger, of lament, and of complaint. Do you know people who stay in those places? I do. Because they don't want to move into areas that are going to lead them to be transformed and become new creatures and creation. As it relates to the world, let me just say this. In Psalm 73, what I love about it, it's a long psalm, and I encourage you to go back and read it again. But what you find here, and I'm getting old enough to where I have reading glasses now, so um, he, he talks about this lament, these people, I'm envious of the arrogant. I see the prosperity of the wicked. They don't have pain. Their bodies are sound and sleek. They're not in trouble like others. They're not plagued like other people. Pride is their necklace. Violence covers them like gar garments. They set their mouths against heaven. And he's upset. This is what Psalms of Lament do. We see this in the Psalms of Disorientation. And he said, listen to the end though. He goes, when my soul was embittered, when the, and when I was pricked in my heart, I realized I was stupid. And I was arrogant. I was like a brute beast towards you, God. Nevertheless, now I've realized I'm with you. But what, he, what he does is he's made a change. Situation didn't change. World didn't change. The evil people didn't go away. But what he realizes, they're going to get their due. I got to change the way I live my life right now, right here with you to see me, to see you, and to see others and the world through new set of lenses. And so I'll end with this. The newness that God is bringing is not rearranging of the options that appear before us. It's rather a new way of thinking, a new, essentially unconceivable way of orienting our lives and living as followers of Christ. Is there bad stuff going on in the world? Yes. Is there stuff going on in the world that I don't like? Yes. Is there stuff going on in politics that frustrate the dickens out of me? Yes. Are there things happening in our schools that really frustrate me and anger me? Yes. Are there people who do and say things that I just think are really, really, really evil and really, really bad? Yes. We could be here all day. I mean, I, we could do this all day. 
But I got to ask myself, am I going to try to fight it with condemnation, fight it with force, fight it with power, fight it with the ways of the world, which Jesus does not model for us, by the way, or am I going to enter into a new way of seeing, living, and intersecting with the very broken creation around us that we're called to be? Not in a condemning way, not in a condoning way, not in a condemning way, in a way that allows me to see that ultimately God's going to make all things right. And I need to vote and I need to go to the school district and speak if I want to. But let me just tell you something. If you do, don't leave your Christianity at the door. Because then you've just gone in a completely different direction than what we're talking about. We are called to be a light and a life that reflects the life of Jesus in the world around us. That's what we're called to be. And there are things that are happening in the world that I can't change, you can't change, our church as a whole can't change. There are things even government can't, there are things that can't change. We put our, our hope and our trust in the wrong things. The world is going to continue to be on tilt. It's going to always have things that are happening that we don't like and we don't agree with. But if you want to live into a new orientation, transformed life, then what you have to do is you have to recognize, God, I can't control all of that. What I can control is my relationship with you and my relationship with other people, my relationship and my leadership in my home, my relationship and my leadership with my, with my spouse, with my kids, with my community. I can control that. And that needs to model the life, the mission, the words, the ministry, the actions, the motions of Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong, friends. This is not a message of passivity. This is not a message that says, oh, well, it's all bad. I guess we just sit here and let it go on. It's not what, that's not what I'm saying. Don't, don't take me down the, e, the either or. We're in the both end. This is about we spend all of our time like the psalmist did looking at all the evil people and lamenting about them and how they don't get what they deserve and how bad they are. Why, oh why, oh why, oh why. But what he made, he made the turn. He made the shift in the new orientation. He goes, yet, oh Lord, I will look into my own self and realize what a brute, how stupid, how ignorant I am to spend a focus because they're going to get their due. What do you call me to do? That's new orientation. And that's how you change the world. As we enter into Lent, I think this is a really appropriate message for us to, to lay out in front of us because now we have a season to go through these next 40 days, not counting Sundays, to where we can engage in some self-reflection of how we will intersect with each other, with the world, and with God. And maybe we need to deny ourselves some things to walk through that and, as, we, as we can in a, in a full and thorough way. Let's pray. Lord... I hope and pray today that we hear with the eyes of our soul and our spirit. There are things happening in the world that are very disturbing. We know that. But there is a way that we as followers of Christ are to intersect with that world. And we take our cues from Jesus. So Lord, let us, let us just spend time in the Gospels bearing witness to this life of your son and help us Lord that in all of our disorientation that we don't get stuck there 
that we don't fall into this conflict addiction. I hope and pray, Lord, that you would lead us into a, a next, the next room, across the threshold of surprise. Lord, work in us, transform us, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.